and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz podcast, a show for creatives to encourage and inspire through actionable legal, tax, money, and business topics. I'm Braden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator. If you are ready to get your legal and tax shit legit, you are in the right place. But before we fully dive in, here is a quick word from my sponsors. This episode is brought to you by my free training, The Three Legal and Tax Mistakes Made by New and Experienced Business Owners and How You Can Avoid Them. Here's the thing. There's a few key things we've all got to do to make sure we unfuck our biz. I've seen all the mistakes and I know how to help you get past them. So here's what I want you to do. Go to www.unfuckyourbiz.com, sign up for the free training, watch it, and do at least one of the homework assignments I share in the masterclass. Promise? Okay, now let's dive into the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Unfuck Your Biz podcast. I am your host, Brayden, and today I am joined by my good friend, Amanda, If you did not already listen, go back and check out episode three of the podcast where we do a little bit of an intro, talk about the differences between different areas of law and kind of segue into this episode. Before we do get started, I want to let all of you know that tomorrow, Friday the 22nd, will be my last uh, masterclass on all of the small business legal shit that you need to know. So hop over to the website, unfuckyourbiz.com if you want to get registered for that. So let's just dig in. Hi, Amanda. How's it going? Hi, it's good. Awesome. So we're going to talk a little bit about Jeffree Star today because he's the only, he's the only makeup artist that I watch on YouTube. I'm sure you might know a lot more of them. I do. Um, yeah, there's a whole world out there on YouTube of people that will show you all kinds of tricks with your makeup. Yes, and I just mostly watch like for the drag queen interviews, if we're being honest, because a lot of the RuPaul's Drag Race drag queens have gone on his YouTube channel. So that's kind of how I discovered it. But now I'm pretty into his Gucci collection as well. It's a different story. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about this case that we found. Um, Do you know this Manny fellow? I don't. You introduced him to me and then (laughs) you were calling him Manny Mua. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you guys I, I don't like I don't know any of this so don't. I'm like MUA as in a makeup artist and you were like yeah I guess I don't know <laughs> <laughs> but okay so when you google like when you google it all of the articles read Jeffree Star and Manny MUA so I was like I don't understand I mean, I mean maybe he pronounces it Mua because that's fine um I mean maybe it's like one of those things like where you can just call the acronym the way it sounds. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't, I don't get if the articles are calling him Manny MUA because he requires like more explanation than Jeffree Star does or if that's actually part of his online persona. Yeah. I mean, he does, his real name is it Martinez. And so, I mean, maybe he used to go by Manny Martinez and now it's just like, no, the MUA makes it clearer. It's his job. He's makeup. Okay, perfect. So what we're going to do in this episode is... We actually found the complaint for this lawsuit that was filed. And first, I'm going to have Amanda explain to you guys what a complaint is. I'm going to put her on the spot. 
And then we're going to read through the allegations and just kind of talk about what a legal complaint is, what it does, and then we'll, we'll rip off of that a little bit. So do you want to tell all of our listeners what a legal complaint is since you are our resident litigation expert? Okay, so a complaint's a really important document. It's where you put together everything that you need to argue that the other side has done. And so you're going to lay out causes of action. You're going to introduce the parties. And a federal filing, it's pretty serious. And it gets a little repetitive because at the start of every section, it's like we incorporate paragraphs one through eight. You know, like it's, it's kind of funny the way you have to draft them. But there is an art to doing it. And obviously, I would never recommend anybody filing a federal complaint without an attorney because they are even more complicated in federal court. But a complaint's really just gonna lay out the story, what happened, uh, who did what to who, um, where this falls under the law, and then what you want out of the lawsuit, which is you know, money, uh, injunctive relief, which is basically saying, make them stop doing this. And an injunction is something that is uh, stops people from selling something, stops them from featuring a commercial or using certain advertising. It's a very strong measure from a court basically saying you have to stop doing X, Y, Z. Complaints can be huge. They can be over 100 pages um, or they can be really simple and only be like 10 pages. But in federal court, they're usually pretty massive. And in trademark litigation, they have to say certain things. So those are going to be longer complaints. And the reason why Amanda's mentioning federal court is because this case we're going to be talking about is a trademark issue, which is ruled by federal law. So if you're not already aware, we have state courts and we have federal courts. So depending on what you're going to sue someone for, your case is going to go to one of those two court systems. I like to think of state court as basketball that you play in high school and federal court is the NBA. That's interesting because I don't really, I don't really feel like I don't really look at it that way because it seems like so much, a lot more litigation is brought in state courts. Yeah. And there can still be really big cases that are happening in state court. And I'm probably going to get hate mail for this, but federal court has these really rigid requirements and judges that really are strict and very, very bright. I mean, most judges are very, very bright, but they at least in the Northern District in Dallas, are just tough. And the state court judges in Dallas are also tough, but I don't know. I feel like I get to see their human side a little bit more. And just, I I feel like they're a little more accessible and approachable. And it doesn't seem as though we're doing something that has just a scary amount of weight. And when I'm in federal court, I always feel like it's like that saying, like, there you went and made it a federal issue or whatever. You know, like, it really does feel a little bit, like, more of a big deal. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah the, the one thing I want to distinguish, like, really, though, is that I feel like a lot of non-attorneys or people who aren't really involved in the legal system think that federal court is almost like an appellate level court or something. So what the I, the Oh my God, I can't even talk today. So (laughs) what I'm trying to just say is if you are going to sue someone for medical malpractice, that can be a very serious issue. That's going to go into state court because it deals with tort and areas of state law. If you're suing someone for trademark, it's going to go to federal court. So it's not like the federal court is looking at issues once the state court has fucked them up. 
Um, sometimes you can remove from state court to federal court. Um, we should do a whole, should we do a whole episode on civil procedure? I know, removal. It's a thing. Well, okay, so I'm going to give a tiny example, just so you know. So, okay, so I want to sue a company from California, and I have, I have the ability to sue them here. And it's for $500,000, and they're entirely in California, and I'm entirely in Texas. I can, they can remove um, to federal court if they feel like that's a better place for them because there's diversity and it's more than $75,000 that's at issue. And they may want to be in federal court. Uh, maybe I put them in a terrible state court where they're totally going to get poured out by a jury or whatever. Um, I think that, yeah, it's, it is a little bit complicated, but. It's a lot complicated. <laughs> So if you all, if you all have seen Legally Blonde, that first scene when she's at Harvard and she gets asked what subject matter jurisdiction is, and then she doesn't know the answer and she gets kicked out of class, that's a civil procedure question. So at my law school, civil, federal civil procedure is a full two semester long class. You spend an entire year learning all of these rules. Wow. Yeah, we didn't do that. Our Texas rules align very closely with federal rules. So I remember taking a class and being like, is there even a difference? Like, what are we doing here? And a lot of the names are the same. And so it was interesting to be like, okay, we just modeled our entire like legal structure with yeah. federal rules. Ours was, like so first semester is basically everything you would expect to be on the bar exam. And then second semester was like complaints, discovery, and all of the actual rules that you really need to know when you practice. Yeah. different. Okay, sorry, sorry, you guys. We really could. Like, we devolved into law school, like, memory. We really, we really did, and the funny thing is, is, like, my conceptual understanding of this is basically just what I know from law school and internships. Amanda actually worked in litigation, so she has had to deal with all of this in an actual work context, which is very different. But now that you all know what a complaint is, oh, sorry. <laughs> The other thing I wanted to mention is I talk a lot about service of process just under the subtopic of what a registered agent is. And Amanda, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically when you get served with process, basically it's someone handing you a copy of the complaint that they filed with the court so that you yes. understand the allegations that are made against you and what you're being sued for, essentially. Yeah, and that has to be done. Like that person has to be served or you're not gonna get anywhere. Like you're gonna be in all kinds of trouble. Um, so yeah, it's a necessity. And sometimes the sheriff does it or you can just hire a process server to go do it. Yes, and when we talk about who you want you, your registered agent to be, that's why some people don't wanna be their own registered agent because they don't want their personal home address being the address they're gonna be personally served at. Yeah, sometimes they don't have a choice because they don't have a physical office. So there's literally nowhere to like have that sent and they don't wanna pay the money for the registered agent company that's, you know. Well, in Cal I'm sure most states are the same, but here you can get a corporate registered agent for $50 a year, so it's- Yeah, they're a little more expensive here for whatever reason. I think they're like $150, but- yeah, it's not a big deal. I just think people don't know about it, so they don't choose that option. Yes. Okay, so let's dive into this complaint. Should we start with what the causes of action are? Yes, I need to pull it up. I'm being so, a bad lawyer right now. Just an FYI, a cause of action, this is the way I look at it, and I kind of use mangled legal definitions for everything, but 
I explain it as a cause of action is what you're suing someone for. So there's got to be like an actual law that someone's breaking that you're suing them for. And that's what the cause of action is. So in most complaints, you're going to have multiple causes of action. So in this one, they have common law trademark infringement, copyright infringement, federal false designation of origin, California statutory unfair competition, California common law unfair competition, and federal trade dress infringement. These last four are pretty nuanced. I don't really know much about them, to be perfectly honest. We're mostly just going to talk about the first one, which is common law trademark infringement. And Amanda, you found that one to be pretty interesting. Why yeah. It? So normally, um, when you're filing trademark infringement, you've registered your mark, which means you've gone through the entire process with USPTO and gotten it approved. You can use that little R with the circle after your logo or name or whatever you had trademarked, um, saying whatever you want. Um, and so because you can't get the kind of statutory damages when you haven't registered your mark, I'm always surprised to see those lawsuits filed. And in this case, it looks like they just were in the process of filing. So that's why they had to um, do the common law. Common law. Like it was, it was in process, but it takes like a year to get your trademark filed. I mean, sometimes it can be a little faster than that. But it takes so long that I'm guessing that's why they just were like, no, common law trademark infringement. It still works. Yes. Okay. So you want to just, should we just like read the complaint? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Super exciting podcast, guys. You guys are going to listen to us read legal documents. But really just the first bit. It's actually pretty interesting. So it starts by saying plaintiff Black Moon Cosmetics by and through its undersigned counsel states as follows for this complaint against Manny Gutierrez doing business as Manny Mua. I'm gonna oh, say. Gutierrez. I said it the wrong name. His name is Gutierrez. Sorry. Manny MUA, Jeffree yes. Star and Jeffree Star Cosmetics. So basically it says plaintiff is suing Manny and Jeffree Star and alleges the following. So the action arises out of defendants' intentional and willful business decision to ignore Black Moon's first use trademark rights and copyright in Black Moon's packaging for its cosmetic products. Do you want to translate that first paragraph for us? Yeah. So because they didn't register, they're saying, oh, we have rights, but they're first use trademark rights, common law. Um, and then they apparently copyrighted the image of the Black Moon. So that's different. That's the image of it rather than the source signifier. Um, is that clear as mud? I feel like that's... Yeah, we're really just digging into the lingo of intentional and willful business decision to ignore their first use trademark rights. So essentially what they're saying is that Jeffree Star and Manny knew that the defendant or that the plaintiff's Black Moon Cosmetics was using this mark, which is this moon image. And I'm going to put like screenshots in the show notes so you guys can see them. They knew that Black Moon was using this imagery and they chose to use it in their own product launch anyway. Yeah, it's a very like um, unique, it's a holographic crescent moon uh, with a black background. So it's, it's not something that you see all the time. It's, it was fairly unique for that brand. Yes. Okay. So they say plaintiff launched in 2015 as a mother daughter duo that manufactures and sells high quality, well-crafted cosmetic products to consumers at their website 
and they are known for their use of bold and eye-catching packaging on their products. Amanda, is that true? Do you know Black Moon for their use of bold and eye-catching packaging? I mean, I guess. I, I didn't actually know about this brand beforehand, but <laughs> apparently they're wonderful. Um, I'm going to look at them now. Um, brand lift for sure with this lawsuit. Um, yeah. Black, okay, so continuing, Black Moon has grown organically to over 250,000 social media followers, which I don't know how many Instagram followers Jeffree Star has, but probably a few million, I'm guessing. One of Black Moon's most successful packaging offerings introduced in June 2015 incorporates a mark consisting of holographic crescent moon on the black background with Black Moon embossed in holographic types near the crescent moon. So we're not going to read through the rest of this. I think yeah. you can the picture. Basically, Can I spill some tea? Can I spill some tea? So, sure, go ahead. So I dug into their trademark filing and they tried to trademark Black Moon and I didn't get through everything, but I did get through their first attempt, which was back in 2016. And it was rejected because there was another Black Moon that sold clothing and accessories and it was just too closely related and they lost their appeal with the trademark examiner. But the person said, because sometimes you can get a trademark by having so, acquired so much fame that you've acquired a second meaning with the name. And the trademark examiner was uh, so cold because they said- <laughs> They were so cold. <laughs> they said, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, I don't care about your Facebook, Instagram, YouTube following numbers. You have not acquired fame, which I interpreted as you need to submit magazine articles. You need to submit if you'd be featured on television. I think there's like there's peer um, studies that you can show. I, I think they didn't have enough evidence to show we've risen to secondary meaning. Uh, this is a strong mark. Um, this isn't going to be confused with the clothing line that was already registered. Um, but it was basically like, I don't care about your like social proof from Instagram, uh, your 250,000 followers, you're not famous, was how I read this comment. Because if you dig into trademark filings, you can look at all this correspondence, it's all online. And I just thought that was fascinating because of the way that we think about fame and celebrity with influencers, YouTubers. And but that's I feel like that's so subjective. Like, who gets to define, like, at what point you're Well, famous? apparently guess, the trademark office does. <laughs> apparently at the USPTO, they are not impressed that you have famous people that use your products. Um, yeah, so I thought that was really, really interesting. And is the law slow to adapt to internet celebrity? Is it something that's going to weigh more later or be weighed um, as, as if, you know, this is a famous person or this company has acquired so much fame. They apparently were not impressed. So I don't know. I just kind of hung on those words and thought to myself, okay, I have to think about this when I'm filing trademarks because certain people do have this massive social media following, but don't have write-ups in the New York Times or local, you know, magazines or newspapers. They don't get featured in that PR way they get featured by making their own stories and their own content I don't know I was just so fascinated by that and I really like want to talk to that trademark examining attorney now because you know I mean to me it kind of makes sense because it, it basically it's saying you can't around like you can't really rely on virality on social media is that a word anyway yeah. to to kind of get your trademark through because it still kind of circles back to first use in a lot of circumstances right 
Yeah, I think so. So anyway, we can go back to the case. Sorry, that was totally unrelated to this case. But I, mean, I it was... have to look at their marks. Like I wanted to see how much they had filed and they did get their logo approved. So, I mean, the logo with the holographic crescent moon is registered. No one can use it, um, I guess now, uh, <laughs> post this lawsuit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So as we're, as we're reading through the complaint, the, the kind of the idea I just want to get across is the concept of alleging basically all of the facts in a chronological order. And I don't really realize that this is an abnormal way to write until, until I actually go back and look at legal writing because it's kind of beaten into you in law school. But it's very dry. It's kind of repetitive. But you're supposed to be writing out these very short statements of fact. So here's like paragraph seven. Defendant Manny subsequently communicated with Black Moon expressing a fondness for Black Moon's packaging design. So that's a whole paragraph, but basically this is to them an important fact to help them with their case. Oh, and it's coming back later. <laughs> yeah, showing them that the defendant actually told them that they liked their packaging which proved, like, to them, that fact proves that he was aware of their packaging and knew about it before he copied it. And also Honestly, shows that he liked I it enough that he wanted to copy it. I think it's, like, kind of the cornerstone of their entire lawsuit, because a lot of times you can't really prove, oh, they, they even knew about us. I mean, it, in this, it was pretty blatant. It was like, OMG, love, you know, like, he literally wrote to them and was like, I'm dying for this packaging, like, so thirsty for it, LOL, yas, like all of the words. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, we'll send you some. And then, you know, like eight months later, he comes out with like identical packaging. It, it, for a lawyer, that is what we would call like a cornucopia of evidence. <laughs> a cornucopia of evidence. <laughs> like there was no mistake here. Like this is, this is insane. So and they have a, they have a screenshot of the text message. Like in yes, the, the DMs are in this lawsuit, which I don't think people realize um, in lawsuits, you can include pictures and <laughs> people included all the pictures and they included all the trolls that came in later that were calling them on the similarity of the designs saying like, nice job. You just copied black moon. Um, and they added that as well. Like in this case, it was really about telling the story of what happened because they wanted the judge in this case to understand this isn't just some random people on Instagram talking to each other. This, these people have a significant following. There's a lot of money involved. Um, this is serious uh, work. This is, this is these, these people's serious work. It's a terrible sentence, but. Yeah, so it shows there's a screenshot of Manny, who DM'd the company, and it says, I am very interested. I absolutely, and we don't know what that's really in regard to some previous conversation. I absolutely love your packaging, would love to try your lippies. Do you know what that means? Lipstick? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Lip gloss, lip, lip anything. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And then they said, Oh, yay. Thanks so much for the kind words. May I have a mailing address to send them to? So they have that screenshot here, right? And then you scroll down a little bit further without even, without even really reading. And you see another image of Manny posting his brand new product on his Instagram, basically the same logo. Holographic Moon. Um, and then his name. I mean, he threw his name in there. Uh, yeah, he just, out, he just switched out the, the brand. Black Moon. <laughs> and I was, 
That was good. Um, so yeah, uh, typically these aren't open and shut situations, but in this case it really is. And if the mark was registered, they wouldn't even have to put up that much information because it's a registered mark. Um, there's not a lot of defense to a registered mark. It's kind yes. of like strict liability. Nope, you're in trouble. Can you also explain the difference between the trademark claim for the name and then the copyright claim for the packaging, like how those are different things? Yeah, so copyright is, you can copyright a lot of different things. Images uh, are the big thing, photographs, designs. Um, trademark is more the source identifier is what, and that can be either the actual words or the logo. So in this case, uh, it sounds like the moon itself would be copyrighted um, and that's what he stole. Um, I'm actually not a copyright expert. I, I don't typically do a lot of copyright work, but that's how I understand it. Um, I've actually worked on a copyright infringement case and that's the closest I've come to it, which also have huge statutory damages. Um, so yeah, I guess that's the distinction. In trade dress, I've actually worked on a trade dress matter as well. Trade dress is your packaging and that can even be your website. Your website's technically packaging as well, but an example of packaging would be the Coke bottle that looks, has the curvature, that's, that's the trade dress. And so if someone copied a Coke bottle identically, that would be a trade dress violation. And so in this case, they're alleging that the actual packaging was an infringement as well. Nice. Okay, great explanation. I was like kind of off in La La Land just looking at all these pictures. And <laughs> off topic, this has nothing to do with the legalities of the case, but if we were going to vote on a winner, I really think that Jeffrey's packaging probably looks the coolest. Well, I think he probably has the best team, right? Um, <laughs> he probably has a whole bunch of people he's banged I out. Think, I think his vendors are probably giving him the best, you know, deal and, and working with him on the best boxing and all of that, but... Yes. Okay, as far as this case goes, unfortunately, a little anticlimactic, guys. We don't have a great resolution because through our search, we found that this case was settled between the parties, which probably means that the defendants just paid the plaintiffs a lot of money to get rid of it. But, but all of that... We don't know that. Disclaimer, we don't know that. <laughs> we don't, disclaimer, we don't know that because... They, they, once... have not, they have not claimed or asserted any liability. And... <laughs> Right. Once you go into a settlement, it's all strictly confidential, so it's not going to be out there in the media. And typically, both sides in a settlement agreement are going to say, like, no liability, because sometimes there's uh, counter claims and things like that. And so everyone's going to say, this is a draw. We're not copying to anything. We're going to resolve this uh, in an amicable way. And then that's all you're allowed to say about it. This was resolved, and that's it. And basically, everyone goes, mom, anytime you're listening to a podcast where someone's like yeah I got a letter and then um it was fine it worked out that is <laughs> podcast speak for I got a cease and desist I called my lawyer we went through months of issues and negotiation then we signed a settlement agreement and I'm not allowed to talk about any of it um, yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts so I hear certain words and I'm like oh you called your lawyer um anyway just a little behind the scenes tip <laughs> Just a yeah, hot tip for you guys, but that's why on a lot of these uh, podcast episodes that we're going to do, you're not going to hear about like any final payouts that are made. So I think that's kind of all we really wanted to talk about with this one. In the future, I 
kind of consider talking about some uh, issues that all of the different fast fashion companies have gotten into with copying designers' clothing. I thought that well, was I think it's an influencer problem too, and it's very fresh. Um, someone cut, called out recently, um, who I really like and I follow, and I feel for her, but she got a cease and desist over a dress that she pushed from Amazon, and had to take down all of her stories. And apparently I'm here. This is all secondhand because she told someone else who talked about it on his podcast, but they told her she has to hand over all the money she made off of the Amazon dress that she was promoting. That apparently was a ripoff of a nice designer dress. This is something I think we're going to see a lot of <laughs> because um, a lot of influencers do this. Yeah, I have I have another one too that um, I remember now one of my friends doing an Instagram story about this girl who was showing people, I think it was she had a blog about how she makes a ton of affiliate income. She'll go on Pinterest. So she'll find like an expensive jacket she likes on Nordstrom, like a $300 jacket. And then she'll go on to Pinterest and just search like brown fur jacket. And then she'll download the image and then upload it to her blog and then link the Nordstrom jacket. So it's not even the same product. She's basically stealing oh. other people's photos to then make affiliate income like for brands. So. I feel like that has to be some kind of like violation of your affiliate like thing well, you sign up for. Also just like blatant copyright infringement. Although a lot of influencers will put something up and be like, okay, this one is sold out because a lot of stuff sells out because they're, you know, pimping it. Um, and then they'll say, but here's like three other ones that are similar. So I don't know. It might be some kind of like falling through the cracks, like legality issue. But I feel like that's fine. But also the, I feel like the difference is, is if you are selling product for Nordstrom and getting an affiliate income from Nordstrom, then Nordstrom probably not going to care if you use their photos because you're basically working for them. But when you're right. a photographer's photos to make money on Nordstrom products, that seems extra problematic. The misuse of photographer products, even by brands, apparently. Like, there's someone that I was talking to, she's an amazing photographer, and a big company here that's based out of Dallas, probably one of the most historical department stores in the nation. Um, you but can I'm guess not going to tell you which was. one. But I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to name names because that's not my style. Um, they used her image and didn't pay her. And I just thought, what? This huge company did that? And I, I thought that was kind of insane. So the misuse of photographs is something that I think is just going to keep blowing up. And maybe the laws will change and people will be more careful about this. I don't know if Pinterest is part of the issue where people just think, well, I messed around with the picture on Pinterest. I should be able to use yeah. it for my own marketing and start putting it out there. But I've talked to more than one photographer friend of mine that has just been irate about the misuse of their photos. Yes. So these are the exact types of, th types of things that we want to talk about. So if you all find some good articles or you have any personal examples, send them to us and we'll try to break them down on the podcast as much as we can. Obviously not like if someone took your photos, we're not giving you legal advice on the podcast, but if you find like a news article, then we'll like talk about the article. Yes. Like Fenty getting sued for posting Gigi Hadid's photo that was owned by Getty Images or, you know, things like that. Um, yeah. Let's talk. I don't know who that is, but let's talk about that. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of I mean, designers. Not, not this time, but next Yeah. I'm like ready to talk about it. I'm like, let's do this. I'm ready. Count it down. 
Amanda's got our copy and she's ready to roll. Um, But we'll keep this one just at like the Jeffree Star drama and then we'll start stockpiling a list of future topics. Yes. Okay. Um, Any other final words of wisdom on the complaint that we just went through? Um, I think you should forever be careful about things that you see that you like. And if you have a business and you're like, I'm going to start using some similar fonts, color schemes, color stories, whatever you want to call it, you need to be exceedingly careful, especially if you, your brand is growing um, because you will be called out and people are increasingly protective of their intellectual property, which is their trademarks, copyrights, all of those things. I, I think that we get excited about a design. We think it'll work. It's fine. It comes from me when in fact there it's been gleaned off of a lot of other people and maybe actually might be an exact replica of something that is protected and owned by somebody else. Yes, we can call that unintentionally derivative work where you subconsciously copied something. Yes, or consciously did it and was like, it'll work out, right? It'll be fine. It's gonna be great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so thanks thanks for uh, joining me, Amanda. It was super fun. I hope everyone else yeah. had fun listening to our uh, hot legal gossip. Thank you. Okay, so uh, everyone, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We'll be back probably, Amanda, we'll be back probably in about another 10 episodes or so. We'll find something super fun to talk about and record. Uh, I, of course, will be back uh, with you in your earbuds on Tuesday. So I look forward to chatting with you then. Have a good day. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.